All right. Make sure you have your Bible and a handout from, from the guys. And something to write with if you need one. We have extra over there, Bibles and pencils. You guys ready? Got your stuff? Okay. One of my favorite pastors in church history is a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. You guys heard of that name before? Martin Lloyd-Jones is not around anymore. He was a pastor in the early 1900s. Um, I, like, I like him because he was a, a physician, a doctor first, and then he said, I'm tired of fixing people um, with fixing their health and then just sending them back to, to their sin. Um, I want to do something greater. So he, he left uh, his uh, hospital and he became a pastor. He, he wanted to heal people's souls a lot more than people's health. He was a pastor of Westminster Chapel in London in the 1900s through the war and and through that, that hard season of, of that century. And he preached through a lot of books in the Bible. He preached through Romans and, and John, Sermon on the Mount. And he also preached through Ephesians. He preached through Ephesians, and it took him, uh, guess how many sermons? Let's take a guess. 24? Okay. Yes. 236 close, 260. Okay, 260 sermons in Ephesians, so five chapters, um, and it took, it took him seven years to do that. So it'd be like your life, lifetime in student ministry. All you heard was Ephesians from day one uh, till the end. Now, uh, like I said, he's one of my favorite pastors. I like, I like him, uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take 260 sermons in Ephesians. And not even half of that, not even a, a quarter or, a, or a, a third of that. But one thing that Martin Lloyd-Jones did often that I think is really good, really good for pastors, for leaders to, to follow, is that he would take from his exposition or his, his series, uh, like he did in Ephesians and other books, and he would, um, he would preach through something, whether it's short or a, or a, a one thing, uh, one Sunday thing, he would preach something that his congregation really needed to learn and really needed to study and really needed to know. So he did that with Ephesians, and uh, that's what I'm going to do today and maybe next Sunday and maybe another Sunday after that. We'll see. And then, and my plan is to follow that with a Q&A and talk about the topic that, that I want to address. So we're taking a break from Ephesians to so talk about a topic that we need to learn as a ministry. Now, before I introduce that topic that you need to learn, that I need to learn, uh, let me ask you some questions uh, as a way of introduction. In, in what areas do we do uh, a good job as a ministry? Think about student ministry, this group. In what areas do we do well? What things do we do that's good? 
I hope, I hope something. Yes, Liana. What's that? Preaching, yeah. Preaching, uh, the exposition of God's word. You come here, you hear it. Yes, Nadella. Fellowship, what do you mean by fellowship? Yeah, yeah, discipleship, fellowship. Yep, you guys are with your leaders. They disciple you Wednesday nights, uh, throughout the week for many of you, and even at camp. Yeah, what else? What are, things that we do well as a ministry, as a group. Camps. Yeah, camps. We have great camps because we have great leaders, and we do it twice a year. And they're so good that, that some churches ask me if they can join. Um, and sometimes I'm like... We'll see. Well, ask me next year, right? Uh, but we do have that reputation of having great camps. Now, here's the next question. In what area do we need to grow as a ministry? Things that you think like, okay, we're okay there. We need to do better. Anything? Like we do a lot of good things, camps, that's great, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, everything that we do, great, but man, this thing right here, we just need to do a lot better in. Yes, Liana. What's that? Talking to others? What else? That's good. Yes, Rachel. How we love each other. How we love each other. That's... That's what I want to address starting this Sunday, today, and the next couple of Sundays. There are a lot of things, like I said, like you guys, like you guys clarified, a lot of things that we do well as a ministry, as a group. But one thing, that, one thing that we need to grow in is our love for one another, okay, our love for one another. So grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Makes sense, right? If you hear 1 Corinthians 13, you'd think of what? What comes to mind? Love, right? Hopefully not weddings or uh, Hallmark cards, but, but love. Okay, there's no, I don't think, better passage to go to if we want to learn about how we love one another than 1 Corinthians 13. Now, before we read it, let me give you the, the big picture. So, before 1 Corinthians 13, you have 1 Corinthians what? 12. After, after 1 Corinthians 13, you have 1 Corinthians 14, okay? This will answer why, why 1 Corinthians 13, why Paul included this love chapter. So 1 Corinthians 12 is about spiritual gifts, okay, spiritual gifts, what they are and that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives spiritual gifts to every single Christian. So that's 1 Corinthians 12. Now, 1 Corinthians 14 Okay, 1 Corinthians 14 is still about spiritual gifts, specifically the gifts of prophecy and tongues. So 1 Corinthians 12, here, here are all of the spiritual gifts. It's the Holy Spirit who gives all these spiritual gifts to every Christian. 1 Corinthians 14, I want to focus on the, t- the two important gifts, tongues and prophecy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, and that their goal, their purpose is to build up the body, to build up the church, to edify the Christians in the church. So you have 12, you have 14. Now, right in the middle is 1 Corinthians 13. 
And Paul didn't include this chapter, so we have something to uh, read in weddings or put in nice cards or even, you know, do a, a calligraphy and put it in our kitchen. No, the, the purpose of 1 Corinthians 13 is still about what? What do you guys think? It's still connected to what? Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. And Paul included this chapter so we would know how to practice our spiritual gifts in a, what he would say, a more excellent way. In a more excellent way. Yes, you have one. You have a spiritual gift, verse 12. Yes, you use it for the edification, for the building up of people in your church. But let me show you the more excellent way of practicing your spiritual gifts, and that is in love, he says, in love. So, so we're, we're going to not focus too much on the spiritual gifts, okay? Uh, but what we're going to do is take 1 Corinthians 13, this love chapter, and apply it not so much in spiritual gifts, we can, we should, but in how we do student ministry, okay? How, can, how we can say, yeah, we do a lot of great things together. Uh, Sunday morning is always good. Wednesday night is always good. I always look forward to our two camps, and uh, we, just, we just have a lot of a lot of great things that we do together. But man, if we can do all of those things in love, then Paul would say, yep, that is the more excellent way. That is the more excellent way. So that's, that's my goal is to take 1 Corinthians 13 and take the principle of love and, and um, use it and infuse it in our relationships and student ministry as, as we do ministry together. Does that sound good? Okay. This is the more excellent way, Paul says. We need to learn about love. So follow as I read, beginning in the last, let's see, let's include that last verse of chapter 12, that second half of verse 31. Paul says, And I show you a still more excellent way. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, If I speak with tongues, with the tongues of men and of angels, and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So that's what we'll cover, verses 1 through 7. So for the next few Sundays, we're going to look at the two steps. Okay, if you're looking at your handout, the two steps in doing student ministry in a more excellent way. Okay, again, it's all about spiritual gifts, right? Chapters 12, 13, and 14. But we're going to take the principle, which is love, how we love one another, and apply it in our relationships in this room. So that Paul, so that God would say, yep, NCC student ministry, you guys are doing ministry the more excellent way because you have love. So two steps in doing student ministry in a more excellent way. Here's the first one, fill in the blank. 
We need to understand the necessity. We need to understand the necessity of love. Verses 1 through 3. The necessity of love. Here's the first area. Without love, your abilities, your abilities are worthless. Your abilities are worthless without love. Now, you'll notice that Paul uses uh, what we call hyperbole in these first three verses. Hyperbole is to describe something to the extreme or to even add exaggeration to your description of that, of that one thing because you're trying to make a what? A strong point, right? That's hyperbole, to exaggerate or to describe things to the extreme so that you can really make your point really strong. That's what Paul's doing here. The first one has to do with our ability to speak. Okay, ability to speak. Look at verse 1. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he mentions two things here regarding speech. Okay, you have tongues of men and then tongues of angels. Tongues of men is referring to the spiritual gift of tongues back in chapter 12. It's about the tongues of the, the gift of tongues. It's the supernatural ability to speak a language, a known language that you've never studied or that you've never known. But the Holy Spirit gives it to you and you just know it. You know it right away, you're good at it, and you can speak it. Now you might be asking, okay, why, why is there that gift, the gifts of tongue in chapter 12? Well, the Holy Spirit gave that gift to these early Christians, specifically in this, in this church, Corinth, so that they could share God's word to people who didn't speak the same language as they did. So they could share the gospel, so that they could instruct God's word to those people, and, and the Holy Spirit gives them this gifts of tongues, and all of a sudden they can speak the same language, and those people can understand them, and they can share God's word to them. So Paul says, if I have that, and then notice the other thing that Paul mentions here, is the tongues of angels. Let's say I have that too, Paul says, tongues of angels. Now, you can take this in, in two ways. You can take tongues of angels as an actual language of angels that they speak in heaven. That's possible, tongues of angels. And also, you can take it another way, which is more on uh, simply having eloquence in your speech. Okay, You're so good at speaking that you almost sound angelic. Uh, either way... Uh, either way is fine. Um, I don't really land on one over the other. I think, I think they're both uh, possible. That Paul's saying, yeah, if I have the gift of tongues, I, can, I, I, I have that, and I also have the gift, gift of uh, the tongues of angels. I can speak to the angels, or I, or I can speak in a way that, that I'm so eloquent, Paul says. Now, the, the gift of tongues is no longer in operation today. You don't, you don't hear it today, the real one, okay? You hear other things, but that's not the gift of tongues. But the real one you don't hear today, you don't see today because it's a temporary uh, gift. It's, it's, it's gone. It's no longer in operation. But again, I want to apply the principle here. If Paul's talking about abilities like speaking, okay, how do we apply this today? Well, let's, let's say... Let's say you know all the 7,117 uh, lang languages in the world today. Or you can even add the 120 that's, that's, uh, that are dead languages. 
Uh, in the 12, that's uh, extinct. I don't know the difference between dead and extinct, but let's say eight, around 7,300 languages uh, you know, and you're very fluent in all of them. You didn't have to go to school to study them. You didn't have to take uh, you know, online help to, uh, to, to know. You're just fluent right away, all 7,300 languages. Let's say, let's say you have that. Again, hyperbole to make a point, right? And you add to that, let's say every time you open your mouth, your family, okay, think about your family. Sometimes you talk and they don't listen to you. Sometimes you want to say something, you, you, you stutter and they ignore you, right? But let's say your family, and then you add to that your friends. You know, sometimes you, you're quiet because you don't think you, don't think you can say something that's that's going to contribute to the conversation. Sometimes you're anxious because you think that they might judge how you speak. So your family, your friends, and then your classmates. Yeah, let's, let's take this into your debate class for those of you who have debate uh, classes. You know, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I guess I have to take debate class. I don't really like speaking in front of people. I don't really like talking. But, you know, I have to take debate class, so I'm in this class. So your family, your friends... Your classmates, let's say, every time you open your mouth, all of those people are just automatically amazed because, because you're so clear in what you say and you're so eloquent in how you say it. Just think, imagine that for a moment. <laughs> your families, your friends, and your classmates. You just have perfect clarity, perfect eloquence, and then you come to student ministry on Sunday morning or on su- or Sunday night or even to camps, right? You show up, and everybody just, just surrounds you. They just surround you because they just want to listen to you. Their jaws drop to the floor. They start drooling, and they're like, oh, listen to this guy. Listen to this girl. I wish I could talk like her. I wish I could talk like him. But look at what Paul says at the end of verse 1. Look at it. If you don't have love, Paul says, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. You may have all the greatest abilities in the world, like perfect speech. Okay? You may have all the greatest abilities in the world that you can think of like perfect speech. But if you don't have love, students, you're just an irritating annoyance is how I translate the clanging cymbal and and gong. You're an irritating annoyance to people. Your abilities are worthless if you don't have love. Secondly, secondly, without love, your gifts, your gifts, okay, that's that second fill in the blank there. Your gifts, if you miss the first one, it's your abilities. Without love, your abilities are worthless. Number two, Without love, your gifts are useless. Your gifts are useless. Not, not the gifts that you receive on your birthday or Christmas. We're talking about talents and, and skills that God has given you, your gifts. Look at verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing, Paul says. So Paul brings up three specific spiritual gifts here. So you have the first one, prophecy, and then the second one, you have 
Um, you have mysteries and knowledge, they're together, and then you have the third one, which is faith. So three specific spiritual gifts that the Corinthians really prize and value. What are they? Well, first one is prophecy. This is the ability to predict what's going to happen in the future flawlessly, perfectly, without any fail. And the, and the gift of mystery and knowledge, you get a twofer there. Mystery is to know all the hidden things uh, that are really hard to understand in the Old Testament. The New Testament would call those things mysteries, right? So, so it's to know all those things, all the mysterious hidden things that are hard to understand in the Old Testament. And then the second part of that is knowledge. Knowledge, on the other hand, is to just have full knowledge, 100% perfect knowledge of everything there is to know in the whole universe, you can say. So not just the complicated, hard-to-understand, hidden things, mysterious things in the Old Testament, but you also know everything else outside of the Bible. Now, look at the third spiritual gift. Paul says, if I have all faith, all faith. This is to have the, the faith that, that's the strongest. This is, this is uh, to have faith to the max, you can say. Faith to the max. What, what does that look like? Well, it's to believe the Bible, okay, 100%. It's to never doubt God 24-7. And it's to never experience any fear or any anxiety because your faith is just to the max. That kind of faith. Your faith is so strong that Paul says you can do the impossible. You want to move a, remove a mountain or move a mountain, you can do that. Now, students, let's say you have all those three incredible spiritual gifts. Okay? Uh, and here's what it would look like in your life today. Imagine how much following you'll get on social media because you can predict the future. You can say... Yeah, you know, in 2020, I actually know who won the election. 2024, I can predict who's going to win, right? Uh, climate change, I know what's going to happen. Um, you know, next month, I know what's going to happen. Uh, I know where you're going to college. I know what your career is going to be. I know how many kids you'll have. I know who you'll marry. Just, just, you, you're just 100%. And then when those things start to happen, you're just 100% flawless, I told you, yep, you know what I say? Yep, yep, I have the gift of prophecy. I can predict. So imagine how, how, how many following you'll get on social media if you have that. Imagine how many people who would want to be your friend because you're the smartest person in the world. Right? People are like, man, get, get, that, get that teenager teaching adventure club. You know, he, he knows everything about the Old Testament. He knows everything about the New Testament. And then you go to school and your, your principal's like, hey, uh, why, why don't you teach all the classes? You know everything. And you do. You actually do. Guess how many friends you'll have. And then thirdly, imagine how much influence you can have on thousands, let, let's say millions, okay? Millions of people because of your faith, your to-the-max extreme faith. People are like, Man, you need encouragement? Go to that person. She has strong faith. She never doubts. No anxieties, no fears. She'll encourage you. Are you struggling with something? Go to that person. She'll teach you how to, how to have strong faith. But look at what Paul says at the end of verse 2. Look what he says. If you don't have love, you are what? He says. 
nothing. Not even something. He says nothing. Not even someone. It's nothing. You are nothing. In your eyes, students, you might, you might look great in your eyes. I can predict things. I know all things. And I have complete, perfect faith. In your eyes, you might look great. In the eyes of people, you might look the best, but in God's eyes, you look what? Nothing. You're nothing in God's eyes. So without love, your abilities are worthless. Your gifts are useless. Paul's saying here, number three, without love, your sacrifices are pointless. Your sacrifices, your sacrifices are pointless. Things that you do for people. Things that you sacrifice for people, those things would be pointless apart from love. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, who here has the NIV, the translation of the Bible? Okay. Now, if you are following me, your translation is different. Yours says, if I give all all my possessions to the poor, and if I give over my body to what? What does yours say? Hardship. Hardship. Other translations say, uh, if I surrender my body to be burned. NIV says, if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast. So, which translation is right? Is it Giving up your body to be burned, or is it giving up your body to hardship? Uh, well, whichever one you choose, I, I think this one too, you can go either way. Okay, you can go either way with this one. Um, I'm not saying that, that, both, that they're both right. Uh, the original is the right thing, right? But it's hard to get to the original with this one. Um, so I'm not saying that they're both wrong or both right, but I think with, with what we have, uh, you can go either way. Whichever one you choose, I don't think it changes the meaning of what Paul's talking about. What is he talking about? He's talking about making extreme personal sacrifices for the sake of other people. That's his point. Whether you take it as, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to um, give over my body to, to be burned, meaning I'm, going, I'm willing to die for people, to serve them, or I'm willing to give over my body to hardship, meaning I'm willing to take all kinds of hardship. I, I'm, I'm willing to make my life so hard so that I can make your life easy. It's all about making extreme personal sacrifices for the sake of others. That's why in the beginning he says, if I, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. So, Everything that I have, I'm willing to give to the poor so that they would be served. Even my own life, even my own body, I'm willing to give so that people would be served. I'm willing to do that, Paul says, to the extreme in, when it comes to my service to other people. But Paul says here in the end of verse 3, it's the same thing. If you don't have love, all of those personal extreme sacrifices you made for people will have how, how much benefit, how much profit, how much return, Paul says? Zero. It profits me nothing. Imagine that, right? Imagine that. Giving everything that you have to the poor. 
you know, telling your parents, mom, dad, you know what? Um, I don't need nice clothes, so just, you know, just give me the essentials, so I'll give the rest of my clothes to the poor. Uh, mom, dad, I know, uh, I know that when I turn 18, you know, I get a car, whatever you get, a phone, right? Uh, I don't need those. I don't need those. You guys survived without a car or a phone when you were my age, so I don't need those. You know, I'm, I'm going to give those things to the poor. And then with your friends, you know, you, you, with your friends, you say, guys, you know, I'm willing to die for you, willing to take the bullet for you, willing, willing to be, I'm willing to take on all of, all of your hardships so that your life can be easier, even, even that means that my life would be harder. You do all that, but you don't do it in love. Paul says, what's the profit at the end of the day? Zero. Nothing. Students. This is super important for us to know. Again, we do a lot of things that are great, okay? But this is what Paul is calling the more excellent way of doing ministry. We can do all those things, but if we don't have love, all those things are worthless, they're useless, and they're pointless. If we want to do ministry in a more excellent way, we need to understand that love is necessary in everything that we do. And secondly, secondly, that we need to exercise the characteristics of love. So not only do we need that love is we need to know that love is necessary, but we actually have to do love. We have to we have to exercise the characteristics of love. Characteristics of love. How does our culture define love today? Yes, Jonathan. Feeling what? What kind of emotion? Yeah, it's more of a feeling emotion. What else? Maybe this is how you define love or describe love. Or maybe your friends. Our culture, the world. What, what do they say about love today? Disney. You know, those of you who watch Disney. Yes, Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, it's really based on emotions and feelings, right? According to a dating website, um, don't go, don't, don't use this one. Uh, they said love is to find someone who shares your values and your goals. And check this one out. Someone who truly deserves you. Uh, according to a survey of teens, okay, because you might be saying, oh, that's, you know, that's a dating app. You know, I'm not even allowed to have a dating app. Well, according to a survey of teens, uh, the majority of the teens said this, you're in love when you can't stop talking about and thinking about that person. And when your gut tells you, you just know that you're in love. When your gut tells you, then you know you're just in love. Students, I, it's clear, right? It's clear that our world, it's clear that our culture does not know true love, does not know Christian biblical love. They don't know. It makes sense. Why would they know? They've never experienced the greatest model and the greatest gift of love, right? In the gospel, the love of God that gave his son for those who would follow him. They don't know that, so they wouldn't know. 
What do we expect, right? So we don't look to the culture. We don't look to the world about love. We look to the Bible. The Bible teaches that love is not an emotion. You can read Genesis through Revelation. You won't find that. The Bible doesn't teach that love is, is something that you feel, okay? It doesn't mean that, that you don't have an emotion. It doesn't mean that you don't have a feeling when you love someone, but biblical love, Christian love, is not that, okay? The Bible is very clear, students, that love is a mindset. It's an attitude. It's something that you do, okay? It's a mindset. It starts in your mind because you get it from Scripture, and it's an attitude because it's in relationships, and it's something that you do with people. That's what the Bible says about love. And that's what Paul's going to show us here in verses 4 through 7. This is the second half. 15 characteristics of love. So we, gotta, we have 15 minutes left, just one minute per... Uh, no. We're, gonna, we're just going to look at the first two. Okay? 15 characteristics of love. Here's the first one. Love is what? What is it? Patient. Love is patient. Now, there are two kinds of patience in the Bible. If you look up, if you look, if you look up that word patience, uh, it's either used for, um, um, in this scenario, being patient in relation to difficult circumstances. Okay, the Bible will say that. Hey, be patient. I know you're in a difficult circumstance. You need to be patient. Secondly, it's used in this context, patient in regard or, or in relation to difficult, not circumstances, but difficult, what do you guys think? People. People. So it's either patience toward difficult circumstances or patient toward, patience toward difficult people. Here, literally, the, the word here that Paul uses means to suffer long. To suffer long. Okay? To, to have the endurance and the stamina to suffer long. Here's how we can apply this in student ministry. How we can love this way in student ministry. First, you need to be patient with people's sins. Okay, that's that other fill in the blank after, after uh, love is patient. You need to be patient with people's sins. With people's sins. So if your friend sins against you, if your friend mis mistreats you, or if your friend wrong wrongs you, your response, students, has to be love. What does that look like in that scenario with that difficult friend? It's to be patient. It's to be patient. That means you don't get angry. It means you don't retaliate. And it, it means that you don't seek revenge. That would be the opposite of patience. You don't let your heart nurture any kind of uh, bitterness or anger or anything like that. That wouldn't be patient. Instead, you do what? Instead, you suffer long. You suffer long. So you need to be patient with people's sins. Secondly, you need to be patient with people's weaknesses. People's weaknesses. The weaknesses of the people in this room you need to be patient with. And as you know, we all have our own weaknesses. We all have our own weaknesses. Some of your friends may be slow to learn things. Have any friend like that, slow to learn things? Just me? Yeah. Yeah, that's a weakness, right? A friend who is slow to learn things, resistant to change. Do you have any friend like that? 
No, 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 we always go here, you know, uh, for lunch after Sunday. No, 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 we always watch this. No, 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 we always, you know, do this. We never do that, right? Resistant to change. How about this? Forgetful with commitments and responsibilities. I have, I have friends like that. Hey, didn't you say that uh, you were going to let me borrow your thing? I did? Yeah, you said that. This is the third time that you made that promise. So a friend who's forgetful with commitments and responsibilities, you know, a, a sibling or a friend who never puts away their dishes or whatever, put their shoes away. Um, they never make their bed or, you know, just things that make it difficult for you. How about this? A friend who's prone to worry. You have any friends like that? Prone to worry. Uh, how about a friend who's emotionally unstable? You have a friend like that? Emotionally unstable? Do you say, uh, because of all of your weaknesses, my friend, I am done with you, but not, not forever. Uh, you know, grow up a little bit. Once, you're, once, once, you're, once these weaknesses have become your strengths, then we can be friends again. Do you do that? Do you say that? Of course we don't say that, but deep down, do we think it? We do. We do. Paul says, that is not the way you do this. No, you suffer long, even with people's weaknesses. Think about it. Not just their sins you suffer long with, but even their weaknesses you suffer long with. Here's another way to apply this. You need to be patient with people's personalities. Oh, we're just, it's just getting harder and harder. <laughs> sins, okay, I get that. Weaknesses, oh, really? Personalities you got to add? Yeah. You need to be patient with people's personalities, students. We all have different personalities, but if your attitude is to avoid and ignore, okay, that's kind of the tactic, right? Avoid and ignore. You're different. Your personality is different. Oh, avoid and ignore. If that, if that is your attitude, just avoid and ignore those who are not like you so that you can be with those who are exactly like you. You lack love, Paul says. That's the attitude, right? Avoid and ignore because you're different. Your personality is different. So that I can be with the people who I'm exactly alike. That's not loving. That's not patient. No, you suffer long. To suffer long is to, listen, students, to suffer long in this way is to overlook all differing personalities in this room. Every single one of them. You overlook them. Yeah, you might, you might be... Uh, personally attracted to those who are just like you, that's fine, that's fine. But those who differ in personalities and even you can add preferences, you overlook those things. You say, not a big deal. I'm different myself. I have a different personality. I have a different preference myself. You, I overlook yours, you overlook mine. That's the response. That's to suffer long. Why would you do that? Because you know that God made you and made the other person what? Different. And you're thankful for that. You're thankful for that. You're actually thankful that other people are not like you. Because if everyone is just like you, then, yeah, I think we know what would happen. We wouldn't have any relationships. We wouldn't have any growth. 
we wouldn't have any ministry, we wouldn't have any church. Everything would just fall apart if everyone is exactly just like you. But because you're learning how to love, and love is patient, even with people's personalities, you say, God, I am not like that person, but I am so thankful that you made her different, you made him different because you know what's best, and you've put that person into my life because you know what's best for me, and I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful that my friend is not like me. That's what it means to suffer long. That's what it means to be patient with people's sins, with people's weaknesses, and with people's personalities. Another one. Another one. Love is what? What is it? Kind. Love is kind. Love is kind. This word literally means to be useful. To be useful. To be useful. This is to make yourself a source of good and blessing to other people. Okay? If, you're, if, if you hear that, okay, if it means to be useful, how can I be useful? Well, you can either... Give, good, uh, give a blessing to someone or you show goodness to someone. It's either to be good or to bless. That's what it means to be useful. Now, do you think Paul intentionally paired patience and kindness uh, together? Or is he just, let me think of 15 characteristics about love. I guess patience is number one and number two is kindness. Do you, do you think he had a purpose do you think he intentionally paired them together as number one and number two? He did. Why, why do you think that? Why? Why do you think both should be together? Yes, Nadella. And not be kind. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. Patience and kindness go hand in hand. When someone is, is, is difficult because of their sin or their weakness or their personality, okay, if someone's being difficult in that way, they're sinning or they're weak in an area or there's a personality crash, uh, clash, um, patience preserves your relationship with that person because you're what? You're suffering long. You're staying in, Right? So since you are suffering long, since you're staying in, you don't push it away. You don't push that person away because of their sin. You don't avoid them because of their weakness and their personality. You actually stay in. You suffer long. So patience is preserving your relationship. What happens next is that you actually have an opportunity to be what? To be what? You're staying in the relationship. The sins, the weaknesses, the personalities, those things you're overlooking, Right? You're not pushing that person away. You're staying in, and that staying in because you're being patient is giving you an opportunity to do what with that person, students? To be kind. Because kindness is to be what? Useful. It's to be useful to that person. Think about it. Let's say you sin against me, or your personality just bothers me. You're just an, an annoying personality to me. If, and you're weak, you know, you're a warrior, I'm like, oh, come on. You know, you're just weak in every area, you're sinning against me, your personality bothers me. If I don't show you patience and I just push you away and unfriend you and avoid you, what did I just do? I just forfeited or I just threw away 
my opportunity to be what to you? To be kind to you, to be useful to you, to do good to you, and to bless you. I just threw that away because patience preserves the relationship so that I can be kind to you. So they go hand in hand. Here's how you can apply this in certain ministry students. Okay, if you're thinking of that person, uh, maybe people, right, in this room, they sin against you, they are weak in some areas, and their personalities just bother you, right? And your flesh, your heart, your mind, they're all telling you, yeah, you just push it away, push him away, push her away, just avoid. You have other people right here who are just, just like you. Now, you're saying, okay, I need to be patient so that I can be kind. So how can you be kind to a person like that? Let me give you three ways to show kindness, to be useful. Okay, letter A, you need to pray for that difficult person. That's a good way, a great way to start, to be useful to that difficult person. You, you pray for that person. And secondly... You move toward that difficult person. You have to force yourself to be with people who are just not, who are not like you. You can't just, well, you know, they're the ones who's different, so I'm just going to sit here. They come to me. If they come to me, I'll welcome them, but they have to initiate that. They have to come to me. No, that's not patient. That's not kind. You actually move toward those people who are difficult and different. You know what that will do with you, students? That will develop humility in your character that when you become an, an older person, okay, an older Christian, you will have all kinds of friends, specifically different friends, and you can actually have plenty of opportunities to serve other people. If you don't kill this now, you know, I'm only with those who are the same and you're not patient, and you lose, the, you forfeit that opportunity to be kind to that person. If if you don't kill that now, you become an adult. You're just you're, you're a loner. You're gonna be a loner. Guess what? God's not gonna use you in the church. Why? Because you're just like ah no ah no mm, no. It's just me myself and I. That's what will happen. So you pray for that difficult person. You move toward that difficult person, and thirdly. You serve that difficult person. You serve that difficult person. And I'm sure you can find ways how to do that in this room. If it means saying hi to them when they come in. If it means, hey, you want to sit next to me? If it means, hey, um, that you, are, how can I be praying for you? Hey, how was your week? Hey, do you have a need that I can meet? Any way you can serve that person, even though that person's difficult. That's what you do. Why? Because that's kindness. That's kindness. That's to be useful. That's to bless. That's to do good to someone who is difficult or different. Now, you might be saying, you might be saying, I have to be patient with different people and difficult people. I have to be patient when I'm mistreated. I have to be patient when I'm sinned against so that, so that I can be kind to that person? The answer is yes. Yes, that's the more excellent way. That's love. Now, you might be saying, but that's so hard. <laughs> that's so hard. You know, it's easy when we just, you know, see these words on a card, 
right? Or when you look that that artwork that your mom did on a cricket, you know, love is patient, love is kind. That's easy to that's easy to just read and like, oh, that's so cute, right? But it's hard to apply. I actually have to suffer long, people's sins, people's weaknesses, people's personalities, so that I can be kind to them, so that I can pray for them, so that I can move toward them, so I can serve them. That's hard. That is hard. That's very hard. That is very hard. But here's, here's what I want you guys to think about, okay, as you, as you try to apply these first two characteristics of love. Does it ever cross your mind, okay, does it, does it ever cross your mind that God has to deal with all of your sins, ongoing sins? Does it ever cross your mind that God has to deal with all of your weaknesses, even the ones that you haven't told your parents about and that your friends have no clue about? Has it ever crossed your mind that, that God has to deal with your irritating personality? And if he just pushed you away, okay, if God says, you know what, I sent my son to die on the cross for a lot of people, but not you, because you, you are, your personality irritates me, you're still weak, and you, you're still sinning, so I'm going to push you away, I'm not going to forgive you, I'm not going to save you, I'm not going to make you as my child. If God did that. He would forfeit. He would lose the opportunity to show what to us? Kindness. Kindness. But because God loves you, because God loves me, he is patient toward us so that he can be kind toward us. Students, that's, that's, how, we, that's how we're to respond to people. Specifically, okay, again, I want to, this is like a family talk. You know, Lloyd-Jones would do this. He would say, okay, we're, we're going to take a break from Romans. We're going to have a family meeting. You know, this sermon is about us, about this ministry. And that's what I'm doing here. Okay, this is the more excellent way, students, to do things. It is to love in this way. Well, we have 13 more to go, but we'll stop here. And not only are we out of time, but we're done with convictions. I've, I've had enough <laughs> convictions from from patience and kindness so uh, let's pray together dear lord thank you for knowing what we need to know um, thank you that we have your word that is perfect and it's penetrating and it cuts us all the way down in our motives in our hearts i pray that we would be thankful we would give you all the credit for all the great things that we do as a ministry. We do a lot of great things. We excel in a lot of great things, and we're thankful for that. But help us to focus on these next few weeks on the more excellent way of doing things, and that is love. I pray that these students would, would apply this in their relationships at home, in their relationships at school, and specifically here. That, that they would be patient, that they would be kind, and help us to remember that we wouldn't be able to do this if we have not experienced your love through, through the gospel. So um, we ask that you would bless all of the relationships here 
and that you would say, yes, that's, that's the way to do it. That's the more excellent way, and that we would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.